Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. Several months ago, um, I introduced a phrase in, during one of our sermons, and I said that day that this is going to be our church mission statement. Uh, in fact, it's interesting, as the board has gotten together to meet over the last several months, we've had conversations about um, our mission, if you will, as a church. Uh, and it's been asked of me from district leadership, uh, what is the mission statement of your church? And I know that if I asked Grace, she'd be able to come up with it. Um, but I have not yet seen it in any of our documents, which means none of us are familiar with at least that mission statement that was put out by our earliest members 65 years ago. And you know what happens when you don't know the mission statement of your church, your organization, uh, is you tend to lose sight of it. And so I want us to have a crystal clear idea of what our mission is. Why do we exist? Why this church? Why in this place? Why bother coming here? Why bother being a part of what we're doing in this community and in this world? And so I'm going to be talking to the board uh, about solidifying this. Man, we should put a plaque in the back of the church saying this because I want you as you enter this place and more importantly as you exit this place to go back into the world around you to remember why we are here and this in my opinion, is why I'm here and what we're called to. And I truly believe this is what scriptures represent as why churches ought to be where they are. We are about life together on mission for the glory of Christ. Life together on mission for the glory of Christ. And we've explored this together, and we're going to hear more about this as we continue to go forward. And I know what some of you are probably thinking, we've got the first part down, we could probably do better on the second part, and I think we're doing well on the third. But here's the, real, the reality of it, is that we need to step into every part of this well. It's one of these things that A plus B equals C. I know some people who hate math just thought, oh no, Kevin's getting into some algebra here. No, A plus B equals C, right? We need the first component, life together, and to truly live that out. Plus, we need to be on mission together and truly live that out. And the end result of those two things is that Christ is glorified. Because if we don't do one, then we are not fulfilling our purpose. And in fact, these two are uh, connected. I want to give you just some examples of this A plus B equals C, where we would just not assume that without both components, the end result would happen. Uh, earning money plus saving equals retirement. You know, I know people personally who have made 300000 or more dollars a year during most of their uh, career and are broke and can't retire. I don't even know how that's possible. Sorry, I've never seen that kind of money. I could only imagine that's not possible, but they've, I know people who have ended up there. You can make a ton of money, but if you don't save, 
then you're not going to be able to retire well. Conversely, if you're great at saving, but you don't earn money to save, you're not going to be able to do it. It just doesn't work one without the other. Knowing what to do plus doing it accomplishes the task. If you know what to do, but you don't do it, you're not going to accomplish the task. It takes both, right? Buying your granddaughter the gift plus giving it to her makes a happy granddaughter on Christmas morning, right? I've done this. I've bought a gift for my son and completely misplaced it. Have you ever done this? Raise your hand if you've done this. I've done it. In fact, there's times I think that when even Jenny got a gift on a Christmas two years after I bought the gift because it sat in the closet on that secret hidden shelf where she didn't know and I forgot I put it. We've been there, right? It takes both components to have the end result and friends as a church. It takes life together plus being on mission together for Christ to be glorified through what takes place in our community of faith as we live this out here where he has placed us. We fulfill our mission only with both life together and on mission. As we've looked at our Acts study, as we continue on through this book, in fact, as we reflect back on what we've read thus far, we see both of this, both of these aspects at work in the life of the early church. We see them doing life together, and we see them being on mission together. I'll just share just some of these. Uh, we have seen, as far as life together, we've seen fellowship right? Among the early Christians, as we've read through Acts, we've seen working together, even through difficult situations that the earliest Christians found themselves in. We have seen them even resolving conflicts together. You know, we may, we may think in our head, oh, how perfect everything was in the early church. No, there were moments of conflict within the church from its earliest times, and yet they leaned in in those times and worked through them together right? And all of that is part of life together. And we've even seen them helping those in need within the community. Even as the church gets larger and larger and spreads out to larger areas, there's, there's, there's churches in regions beyond and missionaries like Paul who are taking up offerings from this part of the world to help those who are struggling in this part of the world, we see all of that. In fact, I want to read to you again perhaps the passage that just crystallizes what it was like in the early church as they did life together. This is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. I'm going to say that again, not every Sunday. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. Man, I just want a small piece of that. I just want a small percentage of that for our church here. This is life together, and we've seen it as, as an intrinsic, a necessary component of the church from its earliest times, life together. We've also seen the church uh, on mission, right? We've seen the church at Jerusalem 
sending even apostles to Samaria because Philip went there and led a whole bunch of Samaritans to faith in Jesus and the apostles came to back him up and to make sure that they're being discipled and, and all the things are going smoothly there because the gospel was going forward. And it wasn't that, well, Philip's doing his missions thing over there and we're, on, we're disconnected from that. The whole church came to support We've seen the church at Antioch commission Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. In fact, Paul and Barnabas, on Paul's first missionary journey, went around through these various Greek city-states, and many, many Gentiles, as well as Jewish people, were coming to faith in Jesus. And then we also read in the text, because Luke knew this was important to include, that when they got back to Antioch, they shared the reports, and the whole church at Antioch was excited about what God was doing, even leading so many Gentiles to belief in Jesus. They were on mission together. And most recently, we've seen Paul and Silas and Timothy working together to build up churches, to preach the gospel, and to make disciples. Not Paul going and doing his Lone Ranger thing, but this team going out, working together, sent from a church, and being on mission together. Life together on mission for the glory of Christ. And today we have the opportunity to continue in our study of Acts, and we're going to see the mission further under Paul and his companions. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 6. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. It'll be up on the screen if you do not have your Bibles with you. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let me provide you just a little bit of context before we dig in to this rather small but yet important passage as we continue on. So first of all, Paul has completed his first missionary journey. Again, that was him and Barnabas going out from Antioch around the Greek city-states that are near where his launching off point was and preaching the gospel city to city, making disciples, and coming back and sharing the account of that before the church that had sent him and what wonderful things that God had done. But now Paul had an opportunity along with Silas and he pulled Timothy along with him as well to revisit those churches that he visited on his first missionary journey. Why? Because he cared about them. He didn't just plant them and leave them, but left them, but he wanted to come back and make sure that the disciples were, were growing well, that the church leadership was leading, that things were going well, that they're evangelizing, continuing the good work of proclaiming the gospel in the areas where they were established. And so he wanted to check on them because he cared about them. But now he's done that. So now their eyes are lifted up to where to go next as we continue to proclaim the gospel. 
Now they had in their own mind plans. Don't we always make plans? Do they always go the way we intend them to? No. And so Paul and his team decided this is where we're going to go. But instead, God had other plans. And so God, by the Holy Spirit, is dictating the priority where the gospel is to go. Keeping them from going where they were intending to go because God was calling them specifically to somewhere else. And I have a few observations I'd like to raise about our passage today as we look at this situation that Paul and his compatriots had, uh, were in as they were going off further to share the gospel. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is this, that evangelism, sharing the gospel, is about joining God in what God is already doing. Evangelism is about joining God in doing what God is already doing. This is not typically the way we think of evangelism. Here's the way we typically think about evangelism. The Bible says to go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, in obedience, I have to step out and go and make disciples of all nations. I'm called to tell people about Jesus, so I tell people about Jesus. And we often think of it in terms of that thing that we go and do for God in order to be obedient to the, what God has called us to do. But here's the thing, we serve a God who has always been on mission. We serve a God who is currently on mission. We serve a God who will be on mission until Jesus comes back. If you read through the scriptures, we see the fall in Genesis chapter 3, and right there in 3.15 is God's word, God's prophecy, that there is one he will raise up, the seed of the woman, who will crush the head of the serpent, in essence, undoing what has just been caused by this tempter tempting Adam and Eve and their falling into sin. God revealed that he had a plan right from the moment when we recognized our need for one. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God working out his salvific plan so that when we get to the New Testament of the scriptures, we see that the solution has come in Jesus Christ who is going to die for sins and rise again from the dead. God is a God who has always been on mission. In fact, he does call us to, join, to, to go and do things, but he never calls us to go alone. In fact, in Sunday school this morning, uh, two, two passages were suggested when I asked, what are the passages of Scripture that command us to make disciples, to evangelize? Here's the two that were given. The first one was Acts 1.8. What does he say in Acts 1.8? What does Jesus say? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, uh, and to the ends of the earth. So in other words, you're going to go do this, but I'm going to give you the ability, the capacity to do this. In fact, I'm going with you by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is present and gives the ability because it's God who's on mission, and he invites us along in what he's doing. The other passage of Scripture that was mentioned is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission and Jesus comes to them, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're not just to go and do something for God. We're going with God as we do that which he has called us to join him 
in. Evangelism is joining God in what he is doing. Now we look at this text that we're in today in Acts 16, and Paul and company had plans, because guess what? You've got to have a plan or nothing's going to get done, but we have to hold our plans loosely, and they learned this here. Because while they had a plan of where they needed to go next to proclaim the gospel, the Spirit changed those plans, as he tends to do sometimes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit knew where the gospel should go next. Because he knew the path that the gospel should take. Because God knows the big picture. He knew who would respond in each city that they went to. He knew the churches that would form as a result of the gospel going forward. He knew the impact that the gospel would have in those various cities where these missionaries went. He knew the the impact from those churches. He knew where the gospel would be sent off even from those churches to regions beyond as the gospel continued to move. God knows a whole lot more than we do. Amen? We know very little. God knows all. And so God is going to direct his people at times. He directs his people and he intervened and directed these missionaries. We see in verses 6 and 7, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit for preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. It was God that was keeping them, not because they were doing a bad thing, but because he was redirecting them. God, but God didn't just stop them from going to particular areas. He directed them to where they ought to be going next. We see this in verses 9 and 10. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So God didn't just say, don't go there. He showed them where they ought to go next. So what about us? We're not not Paul and company 2,000 years ago uh, working through Greek city-states. What about us? Is evangelism for us about joining God in what he is already doing? What do you think? Was it just that way for the early church as he was marking out the path that the gospel was going to go in the earliest days so that it would have longevity, so that it would persevere? Or is evangelism, sharing the gospel with our neighbors, sharing the gospel with our friends, sharing the gospel with those we don't know in our community, is that also about joining God and what he is already doing right here? Yes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is what we see from beginning to end. God is a God on mission. He's at work. And so one of the things, we made a list this morning in Sunday school, the, the obstacles to evangelism, the things that hold us back, the things that keep us from stepping out in obedience to do this. What are the biggest temptations that we face when it comes to this task of sharing the gospel with those who don't know Jesus? And... There were so many different reasons that were given, and yet if we boiled them all down, the underlying thing I saw was this, that we carried all the weight of sharing the gospel and people responding on our shoulders. That success or failure starts and ends with us. 
and therefore we're afraid of the task. It's too big for us. When the problem, the problem is this is not the way God has ever portrayed it. We're not to go and do something for God. We're called to go with God and trust that he is working. He goes before us. He's present with us. He goes after us. The mission is his, but he's invited us to take place, to take part in it, even here in Belgrade, even right now. So should we then, it says it's, you know, it's God's mission, should we then wait for God to tell us where to go, who to share the gospel with? No. I've heard this from Christians, and I love you if you're one of the people who said this to me at some point since I've known you. You know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to just listen, and if God says to share the gospel with somebody, I'll share the gospel with them. I've heard this from countless Christians, not just in this church. That is never anywhere in here. That is never a wait-and-see approach that if God says something, go do it. Because God has already commanded us. God has already commissioned us. Over and over and over again, we see that we have been called, we have been commissioned to take the gospel, to serve as ambassadors, to proclaim it to the lost, that they might be reconciled to God. Again, the, one of the passages, I, the, probably the number one passage I have preached most often in my tenure here is this, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we don't have to wait for God to say something, to tell us to go, because he has already done it clearly and multiple times throughout the scriptures. Yet as we're going, God may specifically direct us to a person, to an opportunity. He may specifically redirect us from a plan that we already had, uh, because God knows things we don't. Innumerable things, infinite things that we don't. I'll give you an example from my past. When I was in high school, a brand new Christian, uh, I was looking for any opportunity I could to proclaim the gospel, especially to those that were close to me and far from God. And so I was a leader in our campus Bible, uh, campus Bible club in high school. And as a leader, I could sometimes manipulate events to try to expose my friends to the gospel. So I had one person in mind, one friend who I loved, I cared about, I wanted desperately to meet Jesus. I thought he was right there, ready. We've had conversations before. And so I organized through the Bible, uh, the Bible Club a pizza party. Now, come on. You tell students free pizza after school, you get people in the room. That's just, that was, that was our go-to thing. And I'm from New York. We had good pizza. And so we had this, this, this pizza party, and I said, come on, man, you've got to come to the club. It's a pizza party. It's Albert's Pizza, which was like the best pizza. It's still to this day the best pizza in the world. I said, come, have some pizza, hang out. You can leave when you want to. And he took the bait. My friend came. And we had a special speaker brought in. He got up. He, he, he gave the gospel message. It was really clear. It was well-spoken. I'm looking over at my friend the whole time, trying to read his body language. Is he responding? And he was sitting cold-faced, just, 
eating his pizza and sitting there putting up with the speaker talking about things he didn't care about. And I'm getting disheartened. And after the, after the speaker finished speaking, it was the responsibility of the members of the Bible club to go over to the visitors and start conversations with them. And I started going over to my friend, and my friend just, Kevin, I'm not interested in this. But I could see in the back of the room there was somebody there, another student I had seen once or twice in the halls I've never had a conversation with. There was nobody talking to him. But he clearly was sitting there contemplative. God was doing something. And so I said, I, excuse me a second, man, I gotta go talk to him. And I went over and had a wonderful conversation with this young man and led him to faith in Christ right there in the classroom. It was powerful. But I had organized this entire event for one person, my friend, and I didn't see him move one inch closer to Jesus. But God had a different plan. It wasn't my bright idea, apparently. It was God's inspired idea to have this pizza party, and he did it for that one man and the two others that were led to faith in Christ by other members of the Bible club that day. God knows things we don't, and we join him on mission, and God will sometimes direct us or redirect us as we step out with him. And so we should always make plans. We should always move forward with the gospel. We're called to do that but we should also always be prepared to be directed or redirected by the Lord. What we should never do is sit idle and just wait for God to tell us to share the gospel with somebody. Because if we live our lives in this sit and wait posture, you're not even going to be aware when God is telling you. Or you're not going to be responsive to it. But if we live lives on mission, if we look for opportunities, if we make opportunities to share the gospel, then when God does speak in those moments, you are listening and you are responsive and you want what he wants, which is people to hear and respond to the gospel. Evangelism is joining God in what he is doing and praise God that he invites us to join him in what he's doing right here if only we will step into that. Here's another observation from our passage. People are desperate for the gospel. I know what you're thinking. Kevin, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> it does not appear to be true. I turn on the news. I watch a sitcom that is, that is, that is portraying Christians in rather bad ways. Uh, I've had conversations with non-Christians in town. Nobody's desperate for the gospel. That's not true. Believe it or not, people are desperate for the gospel. They may not recognize that it is the gospel that they are desperate for, but it is what is desperately needed. They may not know what it is that they need, and they, may not, they might even be ignorant to how desperately they need it, but they do. Think about this. There is tremendous brokenness in the world, brokenness that can be healed, that can be fixed, that can be corrected through a relationship with Christ. There's tremendous brokenness in this world. Everybody recognizes that, Christian or non. People are chasing things in life that never satisfy them, that never satisfy them. They chase, if you heard that analogy, what happens if the dog catches the rabbit? You know, the dog tracks, you know, it chases it, chases it. What happens if it catches it? You know, we are, peop we are people chasing after things and when we get it, okay. And we're not satisfied. Drug addiction and suicide rates are sky high in this country. Why? 
because there's so much pain people are trying to just blur out because people are broken. Even the rich and famous are not immune from this. You know, you think if I just had more money, if I just had more power, if I just had more things, if I could just get rid of all these stressors in life by having it all, and yet they find themselves empty. People struggle for identity, and people tether their identity to flimsy things in this world that are easily shaken. You know, it's funny, I was telling Josh this yesterday. You know, there's a movie, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, by, you know, the first one, not the 15th or 100th one, whatever one they're up to now. But Pirates of the Caribbean, the, the, Captain Barbosa makes this comment, and it's stuck with me. I'm not saying go watch the movie, that's up to you, but, but this comment, he says, food turns to ash in our mouth. You know, if you watch the movie, you'll understand the context of that. But how interesting it is that we go after things we think will satisfy, things that look savory, things that are beautiful, things that we think will fulfill us, and it turns to ash in our mouths. It's not all that we thought it was going to be. The world, people, people right here in Belgrade are desperate for the gospel. As Christians, we know that people need to be reconciled to God, that people need to be made new, that people need eternal life, that they need to be prepared for Jesus' return. We know this too. They know there's something missing. We know what they need, and we know reasons they need it beyond even what they're cognizant of. We see in Acts 16, 9 of our passage today, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, this isn't a real man. Maybe it is, but this is a prophecy. God is giving him a vision. And in this vision, there's a man calling out desperate for Paul to come and preach the gospel. And so they did. How does God portray the situation as he gives his prophetic vision? A man desperate and begging for help. And we live in a world of people who are lost, and they are begging for help whether they know it or not. And God has called us to go. He's called us to go to our neighbor. He's called us to go to our friends and our family, of course, but not to stop there. He's called us to go to the cashier, to the restaurant server, to, if you love coffee as much as I do, to your barista. Uh, God calls us to go to those we bump into regularly in town. And I'm going to go ahead and say this, even people we bump into and ignore because they're not in our social circle. We don't know them. They live differently. They're of a different culture. They're of a different language. They're just there's no familiarity. We've never met them. And yet God still calls us even to them. And so we're called to go every time we have an opportunity to interact with another person. This is God calling you to that. People are desperate for the gospel, and God has called us to join him in that mission of bringing it to them. Here's my final observation from our text. It's not too late to join the mission. I'm going to be completely honest. We are not a missional church. How do I know that? Because I can't tell you, outside of our children's or youth ministry in the last seven years, one person who has come to Jesus through the ministry of this church. Friends, that is not only sad, that is scary. I deal with that reality and it 
hurts. And that's on me as much as it is on any of us. And that needs to change. And here's the good news. Okay? God is a God of second chances, and in my case, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, sixth chances. It's not too late to join the mission. Listen to this. Listen to this. I, I read through it quickly. You probably missed it. Catch this, though. Acts 16, verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What? Do you realize that for the first 15 chapters, it has been in third person? Paul, Peter, the early, the, them, the Jerusalem Christians, Philip, uh, them, third person. This is the first time we see a first person plural anywhere in the book of Acts. What happened? Well, Paul, well Luke has been up to this point recounting the history of what other people have done and this was the time when he jumped on board with Paul and Silas and Timothy in this ministry, in this missionary journey. Now, I'm not saying that Luke never did anything before, that Luke didn't share the gospel with other people, but I'm saying that here we've been reading about Paul for so long. God has done so much already through him and his companions, and now Luke himself enters the story. It wasn't too late. It wasn't, hey, we've been doing this all along, buddy. You're not allowed to come with us. It was, it's my time to jump in and be responsive to what God is doing and join in the ministry of bringing the gospel to those who need to hear it. It's not too late. It's never too late to join the mission. And friends, that's before us today too. If it has been more than a week since you've shared the gospel with somebody, I need you to understand we need to do better. If it's been more than a day, but hey, I'm trying to start here. And I know, I'm, I mean, this is not a guess. I, I, I would bet the bottom dollar on that, that, that there is probably a scary percentage of people in this room who have not shared the gospel at all in the last year. And I don't say that to judge you. I love you. And again, God is a God of first, second, third, fourth, and 555th chances but it's not too late to join the mission. And this is what he calls us to. And we need to do it. And we see Luke did it here. Who was Luke? He was a medical doctor. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a missionary. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't a biblical scholar. He wasn't even a Pharisee. You know what? If we were Luke, we would probably see Paul and all that he's done and think, I'm not qualified to join him. Who am I? You need, you need medical attention? I'm your guy. You need the gospel proclaimed in hostile environments? That's Paul. But that's not what Luke said. He said, we concluded that God was calling us to preach the gospel to them. And he traveled with Paul, and he did what Paul did, and he preached the gospel and led people to Jesus. It's not too late to join the mission. What qualified him? His medical training did not qualify him to preach the gospel. What qualified him then? How about the fact that all Christians are called to do it, including Luke, including us? How about the fact that the Holy Spirit himself 
indwelt and empowered him to be able to do it as he does us. The fact that he was willing to be obedient to Jesus in his call for all believers to share the gospel. This is what qualifies. God, we're joining him in what he's done. And he is the one working in and through Luke and Paul and Timothy and Silas and everybody. It's not about us. So what if you've never shared the gospel? What if you have no formal Bible training? What if you've not been called to be a pastor? What if you've not been called to be a missionary? It doesn't matter. You are called, commissioned, qualified, empowered to join with God on mission, even right here in Belgrade, to share the truth with desperate people. And it's not too late to do what he's called you to do, to be obedient, to step into that. It's not too late to join the mission. Friends, if we are going to be successful as a church, I'll go ahead and put it in these terms. If we will exist here in five years or in 10 years, if we as a congregation expect to exist another 10 years here, then we need to be about life together on mission for the glory of Christ. That's the future of our church. That's the future of our town. That's the future of our world. It's so funny, I mentioned this again in Sunday school. I say that a lot. I mentioned in Sunday school. That's your invitation. You know, I'm implying you should be there. But, um, you know, we complain a lot. I do this. I complain a lot about our world. Raise your hand if you think our world's pretty messed up. Okay, that's the consensus. Yeah, and yet we have all these ideas how we're going to fix it. If we just get this official elected, if this would just change in our country, if people would not be allowed to do that anymore, we think of all these ways that we could fix the problem. Do you know how we change the world? By leading people to Jesus, and Jesus transforms them, sanctifies them, forms them more and more to the image of Christ, and they lead other people to Jesus, and those people are given new life and are changed and Wow, that's the only change you're going to see until Jesus comes back. The only positive change you're going to see until Jesus comes back. We'll have moments, I'll have high points and low points in this world. But friends, that's the only way we're going to fix the problem. As best as we can, Jesus is ultimately going to fix it. But we need to do life together on mission for the glory of Christ, for the salvation of the lost in our area depends on it. And the future of our church depends on it. And the future of our community depends on it. And so let's lead into this together as a church. Share the gospel. Do it often. Do it intentionally. And God will be there with you.
Thank you.